0: Today on the podcast, we have Valhalla DSP. We have Sean and Don, and you may have heard of some of their plugins like Vintage Verb and Supermassive and Valhalla Delay. They are my favorite plugin developer, and I've been fanboying for the past couple of weeks. Excited to have them on the podcast. So, welcome. And my first question for you is At a wedding, talking to a stranger, how do you describe what you do?
1: I'm a software developer. Okay. And that's, it probably doesn't go much further than that.
0: They don't ask further questions.
1: Or like I, I try to explain it and then it's like, well, you know what an Instagram filter is? It's like that for sound. <laughs> okay. oh, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's very good for me, like being in the physical world how much people absolutely don't care about what I do. It's just like, it's uh, I do software. I'm at my own company. Oh, it's a, uh, you know, it's Reverbs. You know, Reverbs? No? Okay.
2: <laughs> it's a niche. You're like, here, let's sit down for four hours. I'm going to break this down for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never do that. But I just, I kind of read the room. It's like, yeah, you don't really care. That's all right. Yeah, You just <laughs> see
2: it on their face. Like, all right. So anyway, yeah, the, you know, that light over there <laughs> just like change the conversation all quick. Exactly.
0: Do you use your anthropology major, Sean?
1: I absolutely do. I think that what it is, it's like it was more of a way of thinking about the world that has really come in handy. It's like, I think like the big idea for that was cultural relativism is such a big principle for me, which extends, it's like the main place it shows up in the reverb design is just, well, there is no absolute best thing. There's going to be stuff that some people prefer and others don't. And for very different reasons, everyone's going to bring their own culture and psychology and personal preferences into things. So when it comes to reverb design, I will come up with algorithms and sometimes like this is great. Sometimes I think these aren't that great, but I may be wrong about the ones that aren't that great. And it's like, for example, supermassive was this is, these are a bunch of algorithms that did not match the goal of what I was trying to do. Like something I keep working towards is how do I get a more realistic reverb sound? And it turns out that's a lot harder to get like a sound of say a short, realistic room than a huge modulated, you know, space reverb. But then again, it comes to the cultural relativism. It's like, well, you know, whatever, like put them out and let people decide, you know, let the market decide or let, you know, just like, you know, or put it out for free if I don't have confidence that it's like, it's a useful tool for generically
0: i wanted to talk to you about supermassive because you guys put that out for free and it is in my opinion the best free reverb out there and you did it during covid as a gift to people who have fell on hard times was kind of part of the blog post i read so what was the thinking behind that any like insights into making supermassive
1: well, it's and honestly a lot of, I mean, like, as I said, a lot of those algorithms were things I tried to make, you know, more conventional reverbs and just hadn't worked. Like a lot of them were intellectual things, like based on like the theories of Michael Gerzon, very sort of advanced feedback delay network and all past techniques. And they just didn't really have a home. But right before the shutdown happened, I had given a couple of lectures at the University of Victoria in Victoria, BC, and a really great academic program there and it's like people were really excited and part of doing that i came up with examples in max for live and most of them were just simple examples they don't sound that good but there's a few that sounded really cool i remember playing them for dawn the super like the max for live patches before i went up there because right. we could actually meet in person at the time like this is Lou, like <laughs> march 4th or something and oh, wow. you said like you're like oh yeah that one should be called super massive like so Don named it and it's just like oh that's that's fun And then when I came back, it's like, came back from that trip and like already coming back, stuff was shutting down. And within a week, we were all indoors for the next two years. And so I think it's like, there's really cool sounds there, but they're not necessarily something I could put a $50 price tag on. It's like, well, let's put this into a simple plugin because that work control had been part of the original Max for Live patch. It's like, and let's make it a freebie. And it was really something that working on that I think it was a way of getting through those first couple of months it like just gave me mm. something to focus on and mm. you know it's like i don't know how long i'm going to be doing this and it's like i didn't know what was going to happen to the company i didn't know how much people would be buying software if anyone would want to be doing music indoors during those during the shutdown it turns out people want to do stuff indoors during the shutdown that's what they wanted to do oh, yeah. but but so worked on that. It really gave me like you know a way to one work on these reverb ideas that I've like over the last couple of decades I've tried and like oh, I don't have a home for them. But also it was very much a dealing with the stress of things it like it gave me a project to do during those first couple of months. So it's really like kind of a way of just like dealing or you know one could argue not dealing with the situation. So.
0: Yeah, it was escapism, but uh, for for a good cause.
1: Escape into my work, and it's like normally works. Like, okay, and we'll put this out, and hopefully, this doesn't destroy our business putting this out. And,
0: and what were the results? Is it destroyed?
1: No, no, <laughs> okay. it's it's, it's good. It, it, we're we're doing just fine. So okay. it's um, okay. and and super massive ended up being very popular. So yeah, we've had a lot of people download it, so <laughs> that's been fun. And and I keep coming up with ideas for it. We're actually like uh, coming up. I think May nineteenth is like the two year anniversary of the uh, releasing it, and we've got two more algorithms that I'm putting into it. Very nice. They're like a combination, kind of like they start off as delays, but they turn to reverb, but in a different way than I've done before. So.
0: Well, I make a lot of ambient sound design pads for sound iron and I use your products every day for that. And uh, so I love how creative and stretchy things are, especially supermassive and Valhalla delay.
1: Yeah. The, 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 the stretchy thing is something that was a big one for both of those. And Don really influenced a lot of the stretchy. Like Don wants everything abusable. Like, okay. I was like, why can't I click on this and have it work? It's like, oh, well, it doesn't do that. It's like, why <laughs> <laughs> do I care? I'm like, I explain. he's like, I don't care about that <laughs> can you make it work
2: yeah what do we got to do to make it happen I
1: and think. sometimes i'm like no but sometimes i'm like yeah okay John.
2: that's like mike mike knows about that
1: like,
2: <laughs> you mean and like, chris like yeah i have this idea like can we do that
3: our uh our tech lead um he's uh he's a wizard but uh he's also very rational and i'm not so if i'm like i want to can it, can it do that he's like but it god damn it, <laughs> so, but I'm I i do not know what am I gonna do? I'm just I, I just want I'm following the sound and or sure. trying to replicate a, trying to get as close as you can to a playable real instrument to to make it as tactile or behave as in a way that you would expect and
1: which is so amazing to me because like when I first started doing. DSP, I was working at this company down in the Bay Area that was an offshoot of Karma at Stanford. And like they're doing physical modeling. And it's just like physical modeling is the way to do these realistic instruments. And then we saw like right when like, I think it was like Giga Sampler was the first one, but we also saw it on the video game side. Like people started streaming like samples, like preload the beginning of samples and stream them off a hard disk. And it's just like the plummeting cost of RAM and hard drive, it's like you start seeing like sample realism just shot through the roof compared to what it was at the beginning of that millennium.
3: I think the, the, the reason that it will take a very long time for modeling to take off, uh, if it ever takes off, is, um, and which is bizarre to say, honestly, because I, I do believe that in most cases, technology seems to want to go toward the most linear and efficient path. But with sampling, computers don't listen to music for fun. Humans do, and humans are trying to experience things that have emotional resonance with them. And, and most of our experiences through life are built out in the real world with real experiences, music played by humans, et cetera. And you don't want the perfect French horn. You want one, because it'll sound like a synthesizer. And why did you bother to model a, <laughs> a horn if you could have just had a really amazing synthesizer that sounds like that? I mean, I, I know a uh, soundtrack I come back to is uh, Blade Runner 2048 the soundtrack for that the the sounds in the in the sense there were like a cyborg dream of a french horn to me a lot of the time or mm-hmm. a, a euphonium they just had these very super real qualities to them but that's go there like why do you want it? why are you trying to sound like a real instrument if you're going to try to perfect it and remove all the points of the real instrument well
1: and and like working with the physical models like from the late 90s and early 2000s yeah like this is like you know a violin it's like yeah it's a violin played by someone who's never played violin before you know yes it does oh you hear those like how like those horrible sounds that's exactly like a real violin played by someone it's like you know it's like someone could be playing violin for 20 years and still not sound as good as someone that you're going to record like you know it's like just because you've done it for 20 years doesn't mean that you're at an orchestra level or something like that and physical models tend to be like you know have the realism of that versus like well what we don't want is something with all the playing dynamics of the real estimate. because that's like if i got behind the wheel of like a modern ferrari it's like you know you you see those people that like buy those supercars and literally driving out of like within 30 minutes they've destroyed it yeah that's what that's (laughs) too much machine (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's what a lot of physical models feel like for me it's like this is more control than what most people could actually handle and if you could handle it you can handle it because you can actually play violin it's like well you probably also have a violin
2: yeah you got to understand how how the the car or the instrument works if you don't know what all these different techniques do and how to use them then it's just you're like all right well it's like getting in that that car you yeah. just all right just smash the gas we'll see how fast this thing goes and then
3: and and that's just single samples so that would be just like the, a, a string sustain synthesized or modeled versus the real thing where you might have occasional pairs on the bow pop or snap you know or things like that the, the grit, the, the quality that it's not just noise, there's events kinetic events occurring that have uh, literal functional and mechanical uh, meaning and impact on the way the sound is occurring. That, so it all it's all coherent in a way that our brain can detect that isn't yeah. just like, okay well, this is a little bit of a high white noise we use to add bow sound or something to that effect, right? You can't yeah. just simulate every component because it's not just a, a an on-off switch or a valve or something. It's like, no, no, that was a part of a kinetic event. So I think that's it. And, and with Round Robin, for example, the idea that every time you hit a drum, it's going to be slightly different even if you're trying to be perfect in a real world situation. So that's why live drums versus sample drums are, or, or uh, synth drums are different, but they they have different jobs. And so they can coexist because music, it's like trying to find a perfect reverb there's room for all of it because everybody has something they're trying to grab at creatively to to because to, they have it in their mind they want to mm. they want to physically have it like and a lot of times it's that unattainable thing of like all my favorite songs had this it factor and i'm trying to get that it factor and bring it into the world and of course that's impossible so you're going to keep doing it and that's going to be your taste in music or sound or effects and how you shape your music i think on a yeah. personal level so
2: it's like you're searching for that that feeling where it's like that thing that kind of like caught your made you like oh man like connect with that sound, and it's like you're trying to recreate that feeling
3: almost in your own music or whatever you're yeah I mean there's a reason like with reverb uh th- the fundamental effect like the fundamental effect in all of music production you guys make it uh there's <clears throat> nobody there who doesn't have reverb and do- and that is the very first effect I think unless you you like have a like go to a guitar center to get your first pedal and they don't have it in stock it's a reverb or it's your amp has it it's how we as humans developed music in a sense it was in caves yelling and making noises and the reverb and the way it carried and resonated that saturating our sort of experience created religion it created probably our ability to dream and think and imagine so like like, or echoes off of mountainsides i
1: mean even all of it
3: something
4: humans built but just hearing the the sound of a space yeah and
1: and then but you know and before it would have been um you know used by humans it still was like you know would have been very important for directional cues for like you know basically avoiding predators like if you hear if you hear a tiger roar in the woods and like obviously the woods has a different reverb characteristic than you know and building because it's pretty much all it's convolution would be the best way of doing the woods because it's essentially a feed forward process it's like you're going to have reflections off of trees very few reflections of those trees hit second trees and then it's like you know so but the point is if you hear a tiger in the woods and it's got reverb on it you know it's far away if you hear a tiger in the woods and it's kind of like that growling and there's no reverb you are you need to run you a dinner yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think that before it was ever even used by humans, it was used as kind of like important directional cues for like uh, animals to avoid predators.
3: And mm. and in in conjunction with that, I think even from the beginning it was entertainment. Uh, the other day, my dog was in, like in his little. He's got this run on the side yard, and our air conditioner unit is there, and the and the the heating coils, you know, they resonate, and he would just put his face kind of toward the the grill and just bark. And <laughs> listen, bark and like in this deep bark that he doesn't normally do but he was just basically hypnotizing himself with the sound yeah. of the reverb he's like i like how I mean, this I, makes my bark sound yeah <laughs> he did I, would I used to do that as a kid like you know sing Are into the, into sing a, the a box band oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah. You know, noise that it makes where it's just ch- like it's i don't know sound is the most It's like the the toy you can take with you anywhere in a weird way. I think that animals have probably been playing with sound since animals started to be able to sense it and play, I think. Sure.
4: Well, Uh, in Reverb, that that was the first thing I bought to go with my 4-track in high school was I have to have Reverb to record and have it sound cooler mm -hmm. because, boy, that's going to make the 4-track sound cooler. I I bought Delays.
1: I didn't really care much for Reverb.
3: Ah. What about... (laughs) Hey, delay, delay is I mean, I think they're like cousins or brother and sister. I don't know what you delay and reverb, I mean they're kind of all or just division or like kinds of the same thing.
4: Sure. And the guitar player in my a delay that I could use. Yeah. I wanted the reverb.
1: Yeah. For me, it's just like I just like you know, because I program the things, I just look at reverbs as a bunch of delays. It, and you just make it together special. What, <laughs> what was what for now?
3: All right. So what was your first four track and what was the first delay?
4: Uh, I had a Ross 4x4. So it was like budget version of uh, a Tascam or Fostec. Um, How,
3: uh, was it digital or analog? Oh, God. No, no, no. This is
4: cassette 4-track.
3: Nice. All right. Cheers. 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I, I bought... Wow. What? Well, that's cool.
4: Yeah. And then I uh, I got an Elisa Microverb, the first mm. one.
3: Those, oh, it sucks yeah. so bad. <laughs>
4: it did but there was the the Did you get the
3: wedge? What, did you ever have the wedge?
4: No, but I know I I have used. Oh, the,
3: the wedge the, was king. The trigger button so you could get a
4: little spike. The wedge um, was
3: everything that the nanoverb was but it had like all these parameters you could mess with.
4: Yeah. But then the, then the the microverb had a reverse uh algorithm on it that was like backwards delay and Boy, I used the hell out of that. Yeah.
3: That's awesome.
1: Um, Yeah. Like I didn't have a digital reverb at all during until like, like I got a, my only digital reverb I think through the 90s was like an RV3 pedal, like a Boss RV3. But in college, they had a 224 XL. That's a bit of a jump. Oh, that was like, that was before I like, you know, but I, you know, I went from 224 XL to a Boss RV3 pedal. So
3: did you start on analog as well, or did you start right on digital?
1: Oh yeah. I started on analog. I mean like my first, my first delay, like in 1986, I got a uh, PV digital delay and it was eight bits rack mount. It still sounds great. It's a, it's just a cool sounding device. And then, yeah, in college it was um, like an eight track half inch reel to reel, but they did have some of the first digital stuff from Yamaha there because uh, like, they worked with Yamaha, so it was like Yamaha would send a lot of the fresh stuff over, but no one used it because we all just, you know, it wasn't working yet. And you know, it wasn't even that fancy. I mean, surprising, it had a Lexicon 224XL. It wasn't that fanciest studio, but I uh, yeah, that that thing just blew me away in college. But then I didn't think about it much afterwards. I was like, got into fuzz boxes and you know that's more and that hasn't stopped for him oh no i just i don't 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 do anything with it on the company side i just love fuzz boxes not yet well i don't even know if i'd ever do a fuzz plugin. i'm just kind of like it's like you're using at that point several hundred million transistors on your computer to emulate a four transistor box (laughs) right (laughs) and it's like just go get just go get one of those electroharmonic green russian big muffs and call it good it's, It's hard to like for a hundred bucks, it's hard to beat those.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's it's like you could oh, you cool. could simulate radio interference because you know if you wanted that effect, but like way better just to get a shitty radio <laughs> and to <laughs> totally. record it. If if I you're wanting it. that sound, that's like sometimes bad like good enough is the best it can be. I mean, anything better would just be pointless. I was asking, I was talking to Craig uh, before we jumped on the call and it's was like, what is, what makes a vintage reverb? Like, what is it like when you say that, what does it mean? Does it, is it in the sound? Does it try to recapture an early era? Is it meant to just replicate a specific piece of hardware? And when the, the audience, your customer sees that, what do they feel and think when they see that? And then what do they hear in the demos and say, yes, that's, that's what I'm after. Can you connect that for like? How did it? How did you choose the name and the spirit of that reverb? Oh,
1: oh, yeah, Vintage Verb. I mean, honestly, that one. It came out at the end of 2012, but was working on that. I had a plugin called that 2009 before there was any like Valhalla had any viability as a company, and so that was something like you know very much like based on listening to like old Lexicons. I think like that 224XL experience I had in college was very formative. So, it was based on kind of trying to figure out how the old hardware worked. And it's interesting that you're talking about Alesis because um, the guy who founded Elisis, Keith Barr, then had a company, Spin Semiconductor, that makes this chip FE1 that's using all these pedals nowadays. But early on, it wasn't really using much stuff. And they had a website, but he had example code and talked about how stuff went and it's like so there's some similarities to lexicon there and then this guy john de toro had published some stuff but it really was like like taking these kind of like this certain topology of reverbs i would call them all past loops but using that as a starting point and it's more like what are the sonic characteristics that are important there and it's like you know a lot of walking around and talking with kristen my wife who's like you know co-owner of the company and just really working on like what does this mean to have it be vintage? And like, you know, there's certain like like sonic characteristics. Like knowing that it's like these things are often much darker than modern reverbs. Like they have like reduced sampling rate. Their modulation cuts off more even more of the high frequency content. What was amazing is start hearing these things. It's like they're noisy. Like and like it's, a lot of people think it's like oh they have like noisy converters. It's like that's a little bit of it. But their modulations totally noisy. They're using eight bit modulation, and that eight bits gets into the signal. And that was in, that was even something that like you and I kind of figured out later on. Like we went to studio late 2013 and heard 224 xl XLs. Like this sounds like a modem. There's just <laughs> this like, crazy like sidebands. If you listen to s- sine waves, but for the most part, people aren't playing sine waves through it, so you don't notice it to that level. But it's more about like that one is like really i would worked on these sounds, but Kristen really came up with the interface ideas of like, we talked about the idea of colors. And then it's like what, you know, the GUIs are representative of different things. And like, you know, no, no seventies reverb actually was designed like with a brown rainbow, like the seventies vintage verb. That's more based on like
3: the aesthetic memory like that you have.
1: Yeah. Like, like going to like a brutalist concrete library in the late seventies. And it's like,
3: (laughs) I love them so much. And they're all gone. I know.
1: That's that's so weird. It's like, because it's like, it turns out that's a really bad idea to have like raw concrete walls in a place that rains all the time. And earthquake. (laughs) Oh yeah. All of it. And like, you know, it turns out that like rebar in concrete, it needs something covering it. Otherwise it's going to get, it's going to be bad, but evoking that. And then like the eighties is very much like, you know, I, I you know, the eighties have very you know, I I live through that. I know that, I mean, I lived through the seventies too, but the eighties is much more like that's obvious. And then, Now it's like, well, let's, and what happens if you have these same algorithms, like the now era or whatever color it's called is like, what if you kind of remove as much of that coloration as possible and like have these algorithms in their more modern day sort of theoretical form, like how much is the coloration important? And I'd say it's like, I think that the coloration is very important for that. And yet I've done plugins since like, you know, supermassive, there's none of that. It's very clean. It's very, and You know, it's just more like, is it important or is it not important? It's like, it doesn't really matter whether or not it's important so much as taking a stance on that product. For this product, it is important. For Vintage Verb, it is very important to look at like the distortion and coloration and noise of these and dark frequencies and let them be in there as well as like this lush modulation. And the lush modulation is like, honestly, that's based more on, it doesn't sound exactly like the 224. It certainly doesn't sound like the 4D L, which most of the algorithms didn't have that sort of modulation. You know, it sounds somewhat like the EMT 250. It sounds nothing like the AMS or Quantec reverbs that had no modulation. It really was more about my memories of the 224
3: XL what years was that the was that mainly in use in studios
1: the 224 xl yeah that would have been um probably from 82 to 86 because it's like people would have absolutely upgraded their 224s Was brighter than the 224 but then it's like, as soon as the 4E L came out, people started going towards that. Now yeah. people all along the way, there's always people that kept their 224s and there's people that kept their 224 XLs. And like, that's the thing is like, it's not exactly like dialing that in because it's like, I had played with U24 XL for several weeks in 1992 and then for a day in 2013. So a lot of this stuff, you know, it's like, I had far more like, you know, I had a PCM 70 at home. I had an eventide, H 3000 at home, which even though those algorithms have nothing to do with what's invented verb, the modulation of the eventide stuff was very cool. And it's like able to kind of figure out, oh, that's what they're doing there.
3: I mean, you're not really in that sense. Yes. You're not trying to actually replicate hardware. You're trying to replicate a feeling and aesthetic of an era. Are there any signature singles or albums that you think evoke the sound of that unit or that range of units more than any other?
1: First R-rated movie I ever saw in, in 1982, went in the well, like in the theater, <laughs> went to the theater, saw in the Cinerama in Seattle, huge 70 millimeter screen, Blade Runner. So just those opening titles of Blade Runner, is like, oh yeah, that's it, right there. Just like, and that used the 224, just that huge expanse of that
3: reverb. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, that was, if that right there is like, that sound was such a touchstone to me. And I remember Don, came up with a preset that really dialed that in and then he called it Homestar Blade Runner, which was so, so good. I love that. I'm good with names. Oh, it was so great. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the best preset name I've ever heard. So that, like just that evoking is like that artificial sense of space. And then there's like definitely like a lot of the Bud, Harold Bud, Brian Eno stuff, even though I don't know if they were using a 224 or 224XL or a EMT250, that sound was very important um i think a lot of 80s brian Eno that was important for that sound even though personally i'm more like i love i love that stuff but 70s brian Eno is where it's at for me like musically if i'm playing a synth or guitar but um i mean what other things would have been big on vintage verb oh i mean like i mean I, i'd say that the huge thing for me is like why I really got into electronic music and reverb in the first place. I mean, I've been interested in like in your 80s, you're going to hear reverbs, but it's like, yeah, I don't necessarily love that that much, like a lot of the stuff out there. But 90s warp, like records on the warp records release, I was just like, you know, apex Twin, Boards of Canada, Autecker, Square Pusher, hugely influential on me, which also points out that none of them were using lexicons, as far as I know. They were probably all using. Alesis quad and midi twos. And so that like lower cost, but really big modulated reverb kind of noisy was a huge influence on me too. Even though like none of the algorithms up until fairly recently in vintage verb were Alesis based, but that aesthetic was huge for me.
3: I, I mean, let me jump in on that though. Like, I feel like the warp records era was a more of a critique. It was a critique of the earlier forms of electronica. I mean, I'm not trying to to, to diminish them. What I mean by that is there was a certain aesthetic about that and a lot of the IDM and noise at that time that really seemed to be about critiquing mainstream pop production in a way. Like so Aphex Twin might use like reverb, but then like the decay of a of a of a sound would just fall apart, if you know what I mean. Like or he'd play with noise, or all of, the, all of that, that sort of era of artists. It was often plumbing, uh, grotesque aesthetics sometimes.
4: <laughs> I think they didn't have any money to buy the expensive stuff either. So it was, what, what could they afford? And then how could they abuse it and, and shape it to their will?
3: I feel like those two things are totally intertwined. I mean, yeah. what they could afford and what the pop people could afford and why were they spe- like why was that critique there? Why was that it, it felt like a a yeah, very like silent form of punk.
1: Give him one of these to yeah. to the big production <laughs> yeah.
3: stuff. I think that's what it is
1: which is interesting cuz it's like um before Keith Barr died, I think he died in 2010, maybe it was 2009, but I'd actually, because of his, I was using the spin semiconductor chip. I ended up getting into email exchanges with him, and one of the things he said is like he grew up with not much money, so he never had champagne tastes, and he like he didn't want to make the best reverb. He wanted to make the best cheap reverb. So he just like you know talked about these design techniques that were just ridiculous. It's like he just got some light table and he's designing the chips on a light table, and it's like you know the actual silicon. He's just drawing it out, and but I think that. You know, that, like, yeah, for me, is like, it was very much hearing, like, the sound of an Alesis reverb being recorded on a DAT in the long play mode, which is going to be some weird 12-bit 32 kilohertz sampling rate thing that, with non-linear compression of stuff. And that's, yeah. what, that's what's so weird, is, like, learning about that and then putting that into, like, similar stuff into Vintage Verb as, like, because that's very similar to, like, what some reverbs use to, like, get 16-bit sound out of a 12-bit converter
3: it's you know that it, it's to me like uh i'm i'm a weirdo but like to me there's some like if you want to talk about what a real meme is to me is the the aggregate uh aesthetic of something like that and and the place it can occupy in your brain the the flavor you know it when you hear it, you, it, it and there's millions of, or trillions of forms of it like that but just a thing you can that it that that sound uh that you you know when you hear it and it's it connects to all these emotional experiences you have growing up, both musical and social. Like you were out at a club and you were pining for this girl and this song came on and the band, you know, band was playing it and <laughs> he had a shitty amp and a shitty guitar pedal and the the mic's like, you know what, it, but it all bleeds into one thing that you will always remember in a way you don't know you remember.
1: Mm. That, that's so fascinating. Cause it's like, I realized like vintage verb, for me is really like based on my memories of being kind of a sickly kid in the 70s and early 80s. It's like, you know, watching like in search of like the Leonard Nimoy, like pseudoscience series on TV and like the soundtrack to that and Cosmos, like the Carl Sagan Cosmos that would have had like kind of proto ambient music on it. And just like when ambient was like, are we going to be new age? What is going on here? We don't have new age yet. The way that like Popol Vu, it's like, it's not new age, but it's not, not new age. (laughs) And so, you know, but, but influenced by that, but it's more like, you know, just like the, you know, the band boards of Canada is more like the memories of that sort of music, but musically doesn't have that much to do with what was going on in the seventies, other than a few like public service things that were played, like, you know, from the National Film Board of Canada, or like you know, Canadian National Parks, but for the most part, they're taking like melodic ideas from Aphex Twin and Autechre, but doing it in this way that's more evocative of the '70s and early '80s and VHS and like you know, scratchy film strips and all that. Vintage Verb is kind of like my memories of '70s and '80s reverbs. It's like it became like, I mean, like it's definitely like it's based on that stuff, but then it's very much warped by warped records and it's very much warped by my memories of the 70s and 80s so yeah you know and then like going to brutalist concrete libraries and buildings that have all since torn down after being up for all the 30 years
3: yeah of all the places that would have been amazing to, to convolve like the old city hall <laughs> in, in the town i grew up in it was just like this nightmare of like post i don't know like it, it i mean there was just this uh revolution in in concrete uh production after World War II and they didn't demobilize and so everything was made of concrete for a while.
1: And no one was thinking about like, you know, the stuff in World
3: War II. It's like, it's gonna
1: last forever. It's like, oh no, it didn't. <laughs> and like, you know, they talk about concrete that's two thousand years old. It's like, yeah, it didn't have um... that concrete. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Different concrete. Still trying to figure that out.
0: Can you tell us about your research and development for plugins so you decide you're going to make a phaser or something and are you stockpiling different hardware units what exactly is going on over there Depends on what it
1: is like sometimes it's like the like I will stockpile hardware units but it depends what it's like for like for, for example vintage verb I definitely stockpiled hardware units to do research for vintage verb, like old lexicons Alesis's, and sonic you know, like not the super, you know, it would rent stuff like that. That was stuff for the research. For Valhalla Delay, Valhalla Delay really started off because I got a uh, Roland RE-301 in a music store. And like after playing with that, I was like, oh, I need to model this. This is, but then would acquire more. It's like got a 201 to model. And that one is like, well, also just because it's a 201, it's the greatest thing in the world. Same with like a, and Sonic EP3. But then a lot of like Bucket Brigade delays It's like, and this isn't my favorite thing. Electro-Echoplex. Echoplex,
4: Echoplex yes.
1: Yeah. the EP3. Oh, yeah, the Echoplex EP3. That thing is just... And I haven't quite modeled that one yet. I don't know if I'll be able to in, in delay. because There's actual, like, you know, it's like you'll say, oh, there's ways of having it done. It's like there's something specific about the physics of the Echoplex that if you do it realistically, whereas like if you change the delay time, it takes a little bit to hear it because you're moving the record head, not the playback head. And that really changes the physics around, but you're moving it between 70 milliseconds and 700 milliseconds. The hall delay gets up to 20 seconds. So if you try to do that there, it might be weird. I might just have to fake it and say, oh, it's a, you're moving the playback head. But yeah, we definitely got like stuff like acquired gear for like, you know, delays and stuff like that. And some of it is like, oh, this is cool. I would love to own this on my own. Like, you know, a few of the tape delays, but you know, some of them I want to sell um bucket brigade delays is more like okay we need to have a bunch of influences for bucket brigade and those are you know because those have very specific frequency responses and all that phasers i have a lot of phasers i mean but that's like i haven't really done much with that other than the phaser algorithm hall delay i still would think that i have more to say about phasers which is probably unfortunate because i don't think that they sell particularly well
0: <laughs> like from other
1: plugin developers i don't hear that the phasers are the big money makers mm-hmm. i just I love phase shifters. So it's like a lot of that. It's like, you know, I have them for. Could you combine it with like a comb
3: filter? That would be awesome. Like a (laughs) sweepable comb filter?
1: I think it's just like sweepable things in general would be a cool thing at some point. Like just like, okay, here's like a, you know, a bunch of different resonators, whether it's a comb filter or phase shifters or parallel filters. And then there's like a modulation section. I've, I've thought about that, but that's, I have a more, conventional plug-in to get out the door first and then but other things it's like you know so there's stuff I definitely will get gear for research phase shifting is more like I love phase shifting so that's possible research and I don't actually have any research project for fuzzes I just like them and then synthesizers I thought like should I do a soft synth and it's like I would love to do that but I think it's Hard. I mean, like, just because it's like all, all you know, because of like just having all the the MIDI stuff in there, like you know, like the playback of that is very, very difficult. And then it's like one of these things, like, okay, I need to like catch up now with like people like Andrew Simper of cytomic his filter design, and Urs Heckman. It's like that's they've got a good twenty-year lead on me in doing that sort of stuff. You know, it's like I've I've been doing my thing for twenty years. They've been doing their thing for mm-hmm. twenty. Years. And it's like. We all have our specialties and it's like, I definitely have things I think I'd say, but it's like, so, but that's what I'd you know, say, am I collecting synthesizers because I, I'm i gonna do this as a product or is it because I just, I'm obsessed with sounds and that's just kind of, it's, it's more of a side effect yeah. of what, or, or like reverb design is more of a side effect of that.
3: What about combining them? What about uh, somehow working a, w- a way to play the reverb like chromatically in some bizarre way? Like, oh, or, or working a synthesizer into your reverbs.
1: Oh, I mean, that'd be, I think that, that that would absolutely be a great idea. Just like for me, like the actual plug-in side of like getting like the MIDI framework and all that. Uh, yeah, That's that's like, I mean, like I've done like filter design before. It's fun. And it's like, I, you know, I've got ideas for oscillators and all that. And I also yeah. just do love like, for example, I love like, you know, just got one of those 2600Ms from Korg. And just recording a note on that and bringing that into the simpler thing in live, it's like, it's so great what you can do with that. So it's like, you know, sample playback combined with good filters is just such a wonderful thing as just, but I don't, I've not done that actual plugin design thing. I mean, it's like, you know, as you're saying, it's like, how do you, you know, like, you know, how's anthropology influence stuff? What it didn't influence is knowing how to program some things. <laughs> it's like anthropology is a really poor framework for learning how to program C++.
0: Totally. Part of your bio says you lost your job in 2008 and then taught yourself juice at the kitchen table. How did you feel like you were late to the game on juice when you were making that and how long did it take before you had your first plugin released?
1: I don't, th- I, I wasn't, I mean, I was late to the game in terms of just life. Like I didn't, like I studied this stuff in college, but I didn't seriously study it until talked my way into a class at UW in 1998. Like I was 28 years old and got a job in it at the very, you know, turn of the millennium. But, you know, so it's like starting my own company at 38, very much felt late. I didn't feel late with regards to Juice though. Juice was still kind of up and coming at the time. Like there's definitely people using it. It was still a work in progress, and so you know now it's just like, I mean, it's not the solutions or other solutions, but if anyone's like one design plan, it's like oh yeah, juice, learn juice, start. But but it but it definitely was hard. It's like you know like dealing with like, you know, because I knew how to do the DSP library just fine, but it, yeah, it was a struggle to learn how to program a plug-in framework. Figure out how do you copy protect it, and then just like how do you have a website that does copy protection, which. That actually came later, was automated. I just created a Juice command line, or like Juice, like a GUI-based app where I would type in information and generate key files. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Worked for four years, but in those four years, I took off. There's six days total in those four years where I didn't have a laptop with me. Like I would literally be like uh, driving to we'd be camping i'd like be climbing a ridge trying to catch a cell phone signal with my laptop or one time parked in front of a burger king it was just surfing off their wi-fi signal but like Mm -hmm. had the computer plugged into the outlet you know in the car and then it's like the car ran out of electricity and i had to like figure out like get someone to jumpstart me a lot of parking in front of life because there's a lot of camping back then too because it's like that great cheap activity. <laughs> and so there's a lot of like uh, just you know, okay kids we're all going to hang out in front of this closed library for a few hours while dad does work. It was weird, but, you know, it was like and it turns out like websites if programmed correctly are really great at automating that <laughs> stuff, but it took time and money and uh, outside developers to develop that for us. So
0: one of the big things about you guys is you say that every day is black friday at Valhalla. there are no sales can you talk about your philosophy there
1: I just think it's like um I think $50 is a good price I think it's a good it's a low price for what we give and I think that um but I also think it's like I just kind of hated sales like I remember like Kristen was very influential about this she was like you know it's like we should parse price stuff at $49 she's like $50 that 9 dot like putting the nines like did like round up make it real let people know exactly what they're doing like instead of any of this psychology but then um but it's also it's like you know it's like the more i actually start working with uh pros like don and all yeah come on <laughs> um it's like realizing that the sale thing at least for me it's like it's something that's like well one is like i like my sales to be kind of like my insulin very steady <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I, you know, like, I don't shoot, but, you know, like, you know, just blood sugar in general. It's like, I, I like having just a kind of steady, like, you know, cause it's like with, without having, you know, to not getting into too much detail, like, yeah, our sales do go up on black Friday. Don't know why, but they stay pretty steady throughout the year. There's not like, whereas I've seen people that like when they start move over to a sales model, it's like you get big bursts of stuff and then like not much going on the rest of the time. But it's also about like for pros, it's like, you know you definitely get people that will buy stuff on sale when they can and like get a great deal on it and then someone like dawn gets sent a session from someone that you got a mix and you're missing a plug-in mm-hmm. you don't have you can't wait was like well i'll get this to you in three months right there's when it's still, on sale there's yeah a, i'll wait
2: until black friday <laughs> to finish this sorry <laughs> it's
1: like you know it's like you have to do it that day so you have to buy the thing and so like I, my goal is like how do we have it so that it's at a price that's reasonable enough for like the hobbyist or whatever, or people that are kind of aspiring stuff. And it's also, we have the free stuff for that. But if you're a working pro that if you get a session, you're sent that you'll be like, Oh, I can, I can buy that right now. Yeah, and it's like, it shouldn't be too annoying to buy that that day. I mean, it's like, I've like even seen like on social media, some like larger producers say, it's like, you know, like, Oh man, it's like, I, I guess I have to buy the Valhalla since I keep getting sent all these sessions that have it right It's kind of like, yay. It's like, that's not exactly a ra- resounding endorsement. But, yeah. but it is because everybody is using it. It's peer pressure. Yeah. But it's also, it's like, I want to make it easy for people like that. You where do. it's like, that, this is not a big deal. Like, you can purchase it and get it that day. And like, it shouldn't be that big a deal for you to do that. So that's, that's kind of the goals. Like, make it so it's like works for both, you know, hobbyists and then, um, you know, but also for working pros. It's just like, you know, you can always get it at that price. So you don't have to worry about like getting on sale right it's not uh, you're not going to get
4: bitten in the ass the next day because suddenly it's half price
1: yeah i mean like and that's the thing is like i've because i've you know used to especially more so than now but like read forums and stuff and you definitely see like people when plugins would go on exceptional sale there's people they're going to be pissed off about that the people mm-hmm. that buy it it's like mm-hmm. this plugin was 199 or 299 and is now ten dollars it's like yeah. you know people, they'll buy that but it's also it's like Well, people say I bought this for three hundred dollars, and it's now ten bucks.
3: It's a statement on the real perceived value of it. Sure. I I wonder on something on pricing, because it's speaking of like starting out with four tracks. Um, I mean, kind of came from the same place where you you have a hobby that really isn't supported by like you know your family or anything like that as a teenager growing up, and you're you're what can you afford? You know, you go down to Guitar Center, Sam Ash, or whatever you know even more recently say you can go online it's still you have ideas in your mind you want to get out what can you afford and and how do you make it worth the while and it, so it's like that 50 buck range really is important because you 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 think about how many hours of labor that is how you know how many paychecks saving up that is for somebody who's a student or just wanting to make music from you know without any real money to work with they just have ideas and so yeah. like we, we have some more expensive professional products because we kind of cater to like soundtrack people, but like most of our yeah. products are under 50 bucks. Cause it's like, well, it's partly it's for that. Like, Oh, I got, I'm doing this project and I really need this one kind of weird sound. Oh crap. It's right there. Bam. Like, and we want them to keep using it. So we pack it with as much as we can in quality and, and, to, and honestly, to, to like finish the catharsis of like, we're going to sample that. Let's get it out of our system and have it all there. But there's a lot of it, like a lot of why we pack more like synthesize and sound design content in there is so that if you only had 50 bucks, you're going to get a lot out of it. That isn't even about that instrument. It's like things inv- evoked from it sometimes with, with like things like, uh, like supermassive or something like just, you know, sound designed modulated content that, that takes it beyond. So the point is that you get, um, I don't know, you get as much bang for your buck and more importantly, it's. The more music that's out there, the better the music will keep getting. It's not just quantity over quality, but rather that the more accessible it is to people who are inspired, regardless of where they are and their situation economically, the, the diamonds out there will, will come to the surface And that. You know, the really inspired people will get their music out.
1: I, no, I, th- I think that's so true. because you have people say, oh, music isn't good compared to what, to what it used to be. It's like, no, you got old. That I thought it was going to be
2: a subjective, like, you know, what you grew up with, you're going to hold it close to you and everything new is like, eh.
1: Yeah, but it's like the sound of music nowadays. It's like, look, this is just like people in their home can make stuff that sounds so amazing compared to what you have to have, like the high-end studios to do. And I think that's just a great thing. And it's like some people it's like, oh, well, then that just means that anyone can record. It's like, well, sure, anyone can record. So it's not like, you know, so, so that's not the gatekeeper. Just like anyone can, like, you know, it's like, I saw, like, I used to think, for example, like, you know, comedy is something that, you know, it's like, I I like comedy. I remember like on Twitter, you see these people just start tweeting and like within a few years, they have a couple of hundred thousand followers. It's like, they're funny. Yeah. I'm I'm tweeting jokes and I get like a couple of, you know, it's like, that's like, (laughs) it's like, it really is a thing. Like, you know, you will, I mean, like, yes, I'm sure there is like pay for play and all these blah, blah, blah things. But there really is, it's like, you can get your stuff it was like you don't have that as a uh, access to the technology is less of a gatekeeper than it used to yeah. be yeah
2: the playing field has been leveled this with just yeah. how good everything is so that's why when you see a lot of people out there that are like well why am i not blowing up it's like well you have just as many <laughs> tools as everyone else so it's yep. like either it's something you're doing wrong because a lot of people nowadays like to like blame the algorithm like the algorithm and you know they're they're <laughs> you know keeping me from getting my, my stuff out there. And it's like, that's not, that's not always the case. Like if people like your stuff, they will talk about it. Like people love to talk, especially yep. on social media. If they like it, they will tell their friends, they will post about it. And, you know, just really it speaks for itself.
3: I, I haven't thought about that. When you have something you want to get good at you, you, for example, were not a programmer in the beginning. You, you had a need and a crisis. When you solved that crisis, you didn't just go out and get any job. You took a really big risk in saying, "Well, I care about like somehow you you said throw away my college education and well not really but the you know the the degree in that sense and let me chase something that high I have a you have music in your foundation and you took that desire and you turned it into you you revealed a talent a latent talent that finally had a way to express and I think that in you provide the tools, but all even these comedians you talk about, so many of them maybe had a love for it, but they had to keep practicing. They kept doing it, and they would not quit even on the the flops. I bet you, if you look at their Twitter feed all the way back, they'll have tons where there was like one or two, yeah, you know, jokes
2: that bombed. You're know, just like, oh, all right, mm-hmm. I guess I know not to use that one again. You know? Yeah, <laughs>
3: it's 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 just raw repetition combined with like desire, and more importantly than anything else, knowing when you sucked. Knowing what you did sucked. Like, or did that work? Did that did that line of code actually improve how this thing sound, or did it make it suck worse, or did it make it not install? Is I I mean, it's not so it's not like easy examples in software, but like there are a lot of examples like that where you you have to just kind of keep bashing your head against the wall until you break through, and you have to have that self critical eye, and you have to have the tools. But one thing you don't have to have: inborn talent. (laughs) <laughs> you're not born a genius. You have to forge an ability. And I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have aptitudes, but I bet more often than not, it's driven by a desire and fascination for the subject matter. That means you're constantly looking at it. So it seems like it's inborn talent, but really what it is, is you're practicing in every moment because you're obsessing on that subject. I do
1: believe in genius. I do believe there's something like, people can have genius, but it's like, yeah. like for me, it's like, look, it's like, it's been, been work and like you know, example like you know, like the whole thing you talked about, like sitting on the kitchen table. It's like you know, like taking a risk. It's like I wasn't taking a risk. I had no opportunities in my field because I've been doing audio DSP. There was nothing. I had like an interview at Microsoft, and they're like, "Oh, you can go home early." It's like that's never good. It's like there's something. It's like they do the brain teaser thing, like moving the trains, and I couldn't move the trains. It's like, mm, would you like to talk about DSPs? No, we want you to move the trains. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay um I'm having problems. Uh it turns out you can't move the trains. It's like, okay. All right. I don't know. It's like so it's like okay, I'm going to do it. because it's like it's not like anthropology is very employable anyway. So it's like I like but it was like working on that and it's like and it's really is it like I think like you see it even with the vintage verb. It's like vintage verb, we were making enough money to survive on, but it's like we we're living in like a rental house where like it's really small and the kids were getting sick all the time because there was like a bad furnace and it's like okay, we need mm. to get out of here. So it's like mm. The, the, you know, is my ticket out of here man I like, <laughs> and so you know there's a lot of just like uh, the wolf was at the door definitely drove like those products
3: yeah. what I mean by risk is like there are a lot of choices you could have made you could have uh, looked you were in Seattle mm-hmm. there are vast forests and there are you know logging jobs for example <laughs> and I don't mean to say that that's those aren't uh, noble jobs or important jobs um, yeah but what I mean by that is that in a lot of cases, when a person is in a position where they don't know a way forward and nobody is there to to sort of open a door, it's rare because it's scary, probably more than anything else, to sit there and decide, I'm going to do something that I think could work rather than quickly take what would be the rational choice. What is the quickest route to a stable corporate job somewhere where… I don't have this fear over my head that I'm going to be homeless with my families shortly. (laughs) And you, you made the choice, but it wasn't a gamble because I mean, well, I can't, I can't, I I wasn't in your shoes, but like, you know, we uh, all have our own stories of that. I think personally, if in anything, that's why when you are at a party and somebody asks you what your job, why it's so hard to explain in a sense with any meaning is because you created it. (laughs) Uh, It exists, and there's other, obviously, there's tons of people out there, I mean, relatively tons, thousands of people in our field, but on a planet with billions of people. I'm not saying we're special. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, there are millions of fields like ours that are specific because there are people who are like, I have an idea. Let's go there, and God hope I survive. but um, I guess I'm trying to encourage people to think like that themselves. What is it in your, like whether, I mean, obviously you're probably into music if you're listening to us, but that might not be where your inspiration is. You might love music, but your thing is anthropology. As in like, maybe there's somebody out there who's got a weird idea that, you know, for a book or something to that effect. So, you know, somebody coming, crossing from the other direction you did, where your North star really is in this direction, you know, I started out as a plumber. So I mean, or at least, you know, like that, that's that was my first like real job growing up. And and so, like you, I use it every day in some bizarre way that you know, <laughs> and I mean that quite literally. Like some of our instruments are sort of inspired by the the tools and the materials around us going up. So like I guess that's what I'm saying is like nobody's experience is not relevant to their possible success and nobody's skill set is not potentially a door opener for them in whatever their idea is. If they think about it the right way. I totally agree on that.
1: I also think it's like what I found is like, you know, even though I was an anthropology major, it's like, I really wanted to do computer music, even in college, there just wasn't a degree for it. And then Mm -hmm. when there was a degree for it, it's like, Oh, it's too late. You can't go back and do that. And then I did go back and do that. But if you can like, find a way of like, what's amazing about, you know, like I was doing, you know, studying computer music, 98, 99. I like, I was like, I didn't know there'd be a job for it. I just had to do it. If you can take what you're obsessed with, like what your just biggest obsession is and somehow turn it into a job. Mm-hmm. That's just has so much better chance of working out than just like, Oh, I can do this job. It's like, cause it's like, you will keep, that will keep you going when times get really hard. Cause you're just genuinely, that's what you want to be doing.
2: Yeah, you have to love whatever you're doing.
3: There's a pitfall there that I think a lot of people get tripped up on early, though. There's this idea, okay, take your passion, now sell it. Like, now figure out Mm -hmm. how you can package it and sell it. And that's not what this was. It's like, it's more like you took your passion and tried to follow and solve problems that you saw in your own creative mind, like a thing you wanted to create that you thought had a purpose, something that was in you that you, you wanted to pull out into the world. And so what I mean by that is like following your passion shouldn't just be like, oh, well, I like, I don't know, ponies. So I'm going to go sell horses or mm-hmm. something like that. Or, you know, I'm going to invest in horse NFTs or something. I don't know. <laughs> what I mean by that is like don't – I don't just mean like make sure that the, that the job you do is the thing you love themed. I guess I don't know if there's a word to say that. But like don't make it <laughs> performative. Like, no, I mean like dive in and because there are – you're going to create your future. You're going to have your success by solving a problem for somebody else almost all the time. It might've been you solving your problem, but the reason it succeeded is because it solved somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. It met somebody else's need. So that's what you're seeking, not just to make money or sell something, but like, what do you want to create? What, you, what is a problem that you see that you feel like other products aren't addressing? You know, not that they're flawed, but that they don't see that problem and you do. Follow your passion, but not like, not for the sake of success for the sake that there's a reason it's your passion figure that out
4: or you do it because you have to yeah and and if you do it well and do it right and do it long enough that may just pay off yeah
1: Yeah. there's a lot of different versions of have to sure that's (laughs) like, like the thing is like i mean i feel like valhalla is a balance between have to because i'm obsessed with it and have to because we really were in like tough straits and I wanted to get out of that. And so there's choices made there. It's like, I definitely like, there's all sorts of crazy computer music ideas. I'm like, these are great, but I do have to think how many other people are really going to be interested in this. Cause I've definitely done the ones that's like, okay, I'm just going to go like drink tons of coffee and I'm going to go nuts and just really do something where I'm going to like, I'll really be able to manipulate sound and all that. And that's like, you know, Ubermont. And I love that. And it's great. And it's the lowest seller by far. And, um, you know, it's like too many controls and it's like, you know, cause that's also, it's like, I do like other things, like I love minimalism. And so that's something that violated that one big time. And so it was a maximalist minimalist. It's like, so I think that there is some trade-offs that have to be made if you're making it your career. But having said that, it's like, if the general thing is just what you're going to be doing anyway, that's really going to help.
3: Yeah. You'll succeed where it's also solving other people's problems too. Yes, And so that was a journey that you went down that maybe isn't seen as a problem yet. But then again, it, I, I'm going to tie it all the way back to what we were talking about with the Blade Runner soundtrack. <laughs> there are aesthetic moments. So all the other music that created at the time that you mentioned probably didn't use that effect, but they were still chasing it. You could still, when you realize this one piece of hardware made it easy to get a certain sound, all the other hardware could kind of do it if you had to really like really mess with things. And then, and it happened to be that the one person discovers the potential, others try to mimic it. And then it becomes a a dominant trend in the same way that something you create now may weirdly inadvertently later meet somebody's need to, to arrive at some sound that they're after. So think about time in a much more um, expansive way, I guess, or success in a different way too, in that you also succeeded in getting this idea out of you that may have, Ripple effects in your decision making later,
1: and that's a very much it means a completion thing. It's like, okay, I had this dream, and it's like, you know, Chris and I were talking about Valhalla as an idea back in 2002, and it wasn't until 2010 we had our first product. But it's like, you know, we're mm-hmm. living in Ballard, and I was working for this company. It's like, Ballard is a neighborhood in uh, Seattle that is, a, you know, especially back then, was a predominantly Scandinavian neighborhood, so it had Viking stuff and like you know Viking mm-hmm. iconography and named places all over the place and so that's cool yeah so that was kind of the idea is like how do we do this but there's definitely the completion of like having this idea and come through but uh, another thing that's tied in is like when you're talking about like that sound is like i realized like part of that sound it was kind of like why i first got into like reverbs in like the late 90s it was kind of a synth extender because at the time it's like you know i would go like get like an ARP X for 150 bucks, or you know, Moog road for a couple hundred bucks. But it's like those make pretty small sounds. But you put them through a long reverb, and you can get like you're basically in the long delays, and you're creating like essentially polyphony in the same way that Gregorian chant because mm-hmm. it's like Gregorian chant is like it's monophonic. So yeah, but it was always in like some space with like an eight plus second decay time. Mm-hmm. So like all the notes would be hanging out together, creating this polyphony in the space. And like, you know, you could do the same thing with a cheap mono synth, plug it in, bam, polyphony.
2: Yeah. Reaver makes anything sound cool. I, I feel like it's <laughs> one of those things like, like when I was first using your guys' plugins, I'm just like, man, like it just makes like you run it through everything like shimmer. And then you put the preset that's got like the, you know, the, the octave where you mm-hmm. hear that, that high octave kind of come through. I'm just like, everything just sounds so awesome like especially yeah. running vocals through that like it just adds this like extra like sparkle yeah it just like just just gives it this magic
1: it almost doesn't really matter what you put through it. it's like there's like oh it's like you put something in shimmer comes out and it's like you know like whatever your input is it's like it's almost input agnostic and i've definitely since then i was like i want stuff to have more of the input in there i want it to sound like what you put in with reverb mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the reverb sounds like a reflection of that but but yeah, but it is this kind of like, you know, that was very much like, okay, it's like I had like a chord monotron. It's just like, beep, and just like it would sound <laughs> enormous going through.
0: That. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What advice would you give to someone who's trying to learn the kind of work that you do, like um, making reverb algorithms, making effects plugins? Where to start?
1: I'd say um, definitely read whatever you can. I like I read whatever papers. There's a few good books out there like, DAFX, the books and the papers from that are very good. Um, Will Perkle has some good books nowadays. If you can take some classes of some sort to do that. But what I'd really recommend is start with uh, a juice plugin that works or some plugin that works like, and then just start, you know, do the stone soup thing. Start with something that works, alter it a little bit, change it a little bit, and Mm -hmm. then build your way that way. Like, for example, like I was talking about Keith Barr's company, Spin Semiconductor, where it's like. I took one of his reverb algorithms and just changed it to an infinite reverb algorithm by changing the feedback coefficient to be one as opposed to 0.7 or whatever. And then just started working with that way. And now it's like, you know, I could program things from scratch, but it's always like even programming stuff from scratch. I love to start with something that's working and modify that. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's just my, like, you know, get something so that you like, you know, know how to compile it and work it and then start working with it from there.
3: Baby steps.
2: Yeah, I think being able to get those those automatic results back is very inspiring, too. It's like not just like feeling it's going to take me seven years to get to a point where I'm hearing something that sounds cool. It's like you're kind of working with something and getting that feedback will automatically keep you wanting to keep diving in further and further.
1: Exactly. And then the other thing is like I would recommend like instead of starting out with like C++ coding start with some pre-existing computer music language. I call them computer music languages. Cause you know, I'm coming from an old environment that you can work with. I mean, like when I was learning it, it was C sound. And that was new at the time, like compared to like, you know, the mainframes that they were using when I was uh, like an undergraduate, but you know, use like uh, pure data or max MSP or max for live in live or, um, I know Bitwig has some synthesis capabilities nowadays. There's other like just software synths that have like that are modular that allow you to bring in stuff like Reactor. I know a lot of people do stuff with that. So like that's a way of like learning kind of DSP concepts without having to know how to program. Now you'll have to learn how to program. And most of these I'm talking about are visual things and like trying to do a a complex reverb in an environment like that is just makes a terrifying mess of spaghetti. (laughs) It's not configured for that, like, like C++ is much better for doing like the same thing over and over in parallel with slightly different, you know, variables, but, but it's still a great way. Like those, you know, computer music languages are a great way to learn how to get stuff and see if you have an aptitude for it. If you find yourself up at three in the morning all the time doing this, then that's a key that then maybe you can keep going with this.
0: Nice. I like that. Do you guys have any personal projects that you're excited about right now?
1: Don? Do you have personal projects?
0: No, I don't have time for personal
4: projects. (laughs) Uh. No, because my my day job is producing and mixing (laughs) artists. Okay. like to say I work with children. Hmm? I work with children. Yeah. I work with musicians all the time. (laughs) Sounds Uh, about right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I I have a very full plate uh, making records for people. Do you
3: have any uh, projects you're
4: excited about right now? I have a lot of things I'm excited about right now.
0: They're classified.
4: Uh, um, well, no. One's a, a kind of debut album from a, an artist here in Seattle. and She's just a great writer, great performer, good singer. We just wrapped up tracking yesterday. I'm moving into the brave new world of immersive mixing and Atmos and stuff.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, you got some speakers on your ceiling behind you?
4: Yeah. So... I'm now we're sitting in the middle of 7.1.4 and I'm trying to figure out the best way to go about all this. We have something new coming out yeah, that will but, take advantage
1: of that as but well. But that's, I still I mean, have to work. I'm still working on learning that side of thing. That's not what I'd call a personal project. That's, that's work. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, work. <laughs> that's joby job right there. It's like, I'm not, I, I like, I'm not doing immersive stuff for fun, <laughs> That's. Mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean like, yeah you see me yeah, like don by the way is a, like an amazing musician like just a like world-class drummer just great but yeah so if i think you am i a musician or am i a drummer ah uh, uh, i wasn't gonna say. <laughs> no, chicken but, uh, chicken or the egg
2: which one you have uh.
1: actual instruments around here you have keyboards and stuff you know real music stuff guitar right right real so real um music. yeah exactly but yeah but you work all the time too and for me it's like personal like you know i've been working on some personal music stuff but then i like you know i started playing guitar again it's so fun until it's like oh man it feels so good to plug in the amp and like within a few within a week of my tinnitus is just kicked right in it's like okay that's why i'm not playing guitar through big muff through loud amps or even uh, medium volume amps so you know back to making beeps and boops of synthesizers in my spare time and then and also i mean like personal project wise i'd say that after you know, a couple of years of this pandemic, I found myself trying to get outside as much as possible. So it's like, you know, my mm-hmm. personal project is more like hiking and, you know, just being in the woods, driving up crazy dirt roads. And there's times where it's like, you know, I've been thinking about like, you know, I go on walks and think about work. And it's like, I think I'm finally stopping having to do that. Like I work on stuff. It's more like I'm working on that. And when I'm out in the world, I'm like out in the world. So
0: yeah, you can separate them.
1: Yeah, but really not anything like, you know, like there's my job and then everything else. It's like uh, not not much music. I'm, as I said, I'm very excited. I've just got an ARP 2600 and I'm having way too much fun with that.
0: But, Love it.
1: But, no, but no great results from that. It's not like I sat down and made like, you know, the great masterpiece with that, which is like, and that's the thing, too, is like realizing it's like, you know, if I was going to be Richard D. James, it probably would have happened by now. I learned this stuff because I wanted to be like him. It's like, mm, no, it turns out this very weird, specific sidetrack I end up being good at. So <laughs> it's an
0: it's an offshoot. Yeah, I have a few quick questions for you guys, and then we can wrap this up. Uh, the first one is: Do you have a best recent purchase under a hundred dollars?
1: Good question. You turned me on to that uh, cabinet modeling software. What is that?
4: Of the Nambrini. Yeah, it's 23 one. bucks
1: on sale. The IR loader. Yeah. You, like oh, yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah. I always I always think that like a uh, Electro Harmonix Green Mush- Russian Big Muff is right around $100 now. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Such a great thing. That's not recent, but.
0: You would buy it again at that price. Oh,
1: I would absolutely buy it again. I'd buy it for friends. It's like, here, <laughs> you. It's like, are there any other things like that that it's like, you know, I'm like, oh God, Don, you have to have this that's under $100? SM57. You hate the SM fifty seven. No, I do not. I, I don't, why would you say that?
3: It's well, a very specific tool. Which is like,
2: I mean, I like mean the, if you're micing cabs and snares, you know, you're gonna use them.
3: You know That's, what I like to do that every nobody will, will do, and I don't know why. Just use them in stereo pairs. They actually sound pretty nice in certain contexts when they're in I use fifty
1: all the time. I know you do, but you also modify them and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, sure. I have modded ones too. Yeah, but I mean, like, but I mean, like honestly, like Valhalla, like uh, like the sure SM 57 and SM fifty eight are a big kind of aspirational model for the plugins because it's like you know like right now we're talking through what what's this microphone we're talking through? oh it's a flea 249 it's uh that's not a hundred dollar mic <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds ridiculous and it's like i know that people talk about like all these mics but it's like do they own an sm57 and sm58 it's like yeah so i mean yeah, like pretty
2: of, industry standard at this point, course and has been for many years <laughs>
1: life standard just like it'll something, do so something many things like and like yeah. that's why like valhalla i'd love it to be like the the and for people it's like oh i've got like this contact, I and mean, i got valhalla you know it's <laughs> like doesn't it, it doesn't need to be like i mean i love it like i am working you know, like i like am working on trying to come up with like the best reverb ever like not just like for the price but ever but it's also it's fine to be like you know i don't expect it to be the one tool that people use i mean like no. that's I mean, it's like everyone's like you know it's like it's like i use a hammer and that's my thing i use a hammer it's like you might have a couple of hammers and saws and stuff like that <laughs> Different it's sizes. Right. yeah, yeah. It's right, that's right being the hammer i use altiverbs sometimes yeah i you. always use judas how I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> i know no i mean yeah you use all sorts of stuff i mean like there's like great like you know i like i mean i also like really tracking the other reverbs that are coming mm-hmm. out like i think like uh Matt from Liquid Sonic slash Reverb Foundry is, a, is brilliant. His stuff is like both convolution and like his algorithmic stuff is like Tai Chi sounds great. Cinematic Rooms Pro is rapidly becoming like the kind of the new standard in, uh, in, the, in like the post-production world or one of the new standards, I mean, besides Altiverb and the exponential audio stuff.
3: There's there, there are different workflows. I love Liquid <laughs> Sonic stuff. There's all kinds of different ways of approaching the question, and yep. and and it can be even mood based. Like, what do I feel like? What knobs do I want to tweak today?
4: Or do you just want to do something different that you yeah. have have you've been doing this this this? Oh, I've, mm-hmm. I've been throwing vintage verb on a bunch of things. Yeah. I just want to put my head down a different
1: path. Yeah. I mean, I get like nowadays, I don't use Vintage Verb much on my own music. It's like, I know it's good, but it's like, I'm much more likely to use Supermassive or Delay delay as a reverb. I use Delay as a reverb all the time. So like, I've just, I've heard the heck out of Vintage Verb. It's nice to like get a change sometimes. You know what I mean? Nearby our house, there's this amazing Neapolitan pizzeria, but it's like, we haven't been there in a while. It's like, you can get sick of that. And to get sick of the best pizza is sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that we're it's like we're the best pizza, but you know I mean? Like just anything that you use a lot is like, you want to get some variety in there. And so.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think especially anyone who's in a creative field, it's like you, you almost start to miss that explorative kind of thing where it's like, you just want to go in and, and tweak some different stuff or see a different UI. Or it's like, if you use the same guitar amp simulator all the time, eventually you're like, you know what, like you, you start to become numb to it and you want to like mm-hmm. throw it away and like, let me let's go through the archive. Let's see what else I got, and and just kind of explore and get lost in 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 that right. whole world, you know.
4: And you may even find that you it, you don't have to go buy something new. You may already have the new thing just that you haven't used in six months Pull or a year. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's why that's why people buy so much stuff all the time. They're just like, I need to be inspired, so they buy something new. But it's like, hey, maybe go through your your plugins again, see which you, you know, because mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of people that buy stuff and just forget.
4: You have plenty, I imagine, yeah. most people now yeah. have plenty of things to keep them busy for a lifetime. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we used to buy one thing because that was all you could afford and you'd learn the hell out of it mm-hmm. and, and really, really learn how to
1: use it before you could think about buying something else. Yeah, like I, I, I still think like when I had like an SH-101 and ArtPaxx. A digital delay in a karaoke machine it's like i would make you know just overdubbing i would make so much music then it's like now with like far more tools it's like sometimes i just get like overloaded it's like it's like it's hard to move in my office for them it's like i kind of wish i had, had the one thing that also reminds me like going back like just sometimes you get sick of stuff like you know this is a tool it's like not in the hundred dollar range it's more about a thousand now but i just love the Mo grandmother i think that's about the coolest synth out there but i like I haven't played it much lately because it's like, look, I just get into such a groove with that thing. Like I've done so much with it. It's like, I kind of need to step away from it because I've done it. It's like, I don't want it to be like, that's just the thing that I do. And it's like, you know, that doesn't mean it's any less good. It's amazing. It's just like, I've over, I've overused it, but it's, I still think it's
3: incredible. I'm never going to sell it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just need, well, as it's like, if you're a painter, you're not always going to use the same color paint or even the same kind of paint or even the same kind of medium i've got a a sub hundred dollar recommendation that i think you guys would probably enjoy um it's a type of microphone um called a primo em272 by this japanese company hold on i'll get to it have you heard of the Lom uzi pro or Mm. the fell communications clippy so those are two microphones that use this uh, capsule It's got a 14 DBA self noise. So it's like way down low compared to most mics. It's this tiny little, uh, so a stereo pair, they come in XLR version or even down to 3.5 millimeter. And like that plug, but it's these guys, they sound incredible. They sound fantastic. They are tiny. They're easy to build into binaural and surround kinds of rigs or put anywhere. I cannot recommend them enough. They sound fantastic really sensitive really low noise like have you either of you ever done field recording with for like ambiences or nature sure okay so you know how the biggest problems are well really the problem is noise because you get to a place you know with a quiet ambience even the best microphones and recorders are gonna have some hiss uh, and the mics that that beat it don't always sound that great or they're big and you have to have a huge blimp but these have a low enough noise and they have a really nice sound feel to them that I, I just cannot recommend enough. Oh. And they're cheap as dirt. <laughs> cheap as dirt. You can buy the caps if you like wiring your own like setups, the capsules are like 20 bucks each. The wow. finished mics are like 55 pounds each thereabouts. Uh well at least okay. for the fell communication one they're in Britain. Uh the other one I I think LOM is in Slovakia. I, I'm gonna get that wrong and probably offend somebody, but like uh, that The LOM stuff is amazing, but hard to get. They don't make huge batches, but the Fell Communications ones, they make them. Pretty are those the
1: watch. mics
4: that are, are being put into a, a dummy head?
3: Um, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of people do that now. Um, that, you know, because- Yeah, I wish people... I did. I don't have any of the spare capsules. So these are the the, the housing you see is the housing by fell or uh, that, that's provided by fell Communications. And it's a clip on mic, but you don't have to have them in the clip. Okay. They're like they're omnis, so they're used. Uh, I mean, they. I think they originally were meant as lav mics. I mean, that yeah. most of the products that Primo makes, they just make the capsules. They don't even sell the mics. They just and so other companies put them into things. Mm. Uh, but they have this remarkable low noise, and and I mean, it's it's honestly it's even better than the specs because um, the sensitivity is really high. So you can be in a very quiet ambience and suddenly make it sound like you're in a jungle, even though it was just like a park because all the birds are suddenly really loud, but the hiss is not up wow Wow. so So you're not i I, I kind of stumbled on like six months ago and now i own like 20 i i think if you just look up em272 they'll probably be one of the first ones that come up mikebooster.com is their website okay i i can't recommend them enough they're awesome and and that that shop the uh nick uh he's great so for anybody listening to this like if you want if you're like a recordist or an artist and you really are looking for really nice sounding mics. They sound really good up close on stuff too, not just as a room Ooh. or overhead. They just sound good for all kinds of uses. Like seriously, this setup is like less than hundred bucks. And it, it. I am a geek for field recording mics, trying to chase the lowest noise, best, most realistic soundstage I can, like to get to, to, to re- replicate being there. These microphones are the closest I've ever gotten. I, I oh, don't know. I know that sounds goofy, but and I and we don't have any deal with Bell or anybody else. I'm just saying, like I've been so blown away and so happy with these microphones, uh, especially at their cost, because it means you can like anybody can have them.
4: Yeah. yeah, cool. I gotta get some then. Yeah, worth it. I have a problem with microphones. You do. You'll
3: have a problem with it once you have them. I like. I it's the price will blow you away more, but like, uh, field recording is so frustrating for me because it never sounds as good as being there sure and all the best mics i've got like don't they, they get i don't know it's just there's but those like i was able to build my own little miniature okay. limp and it's a binaural yep. rig i mean i can't take it apart but i've actually constructed like these ear structures inside to try to help to, so it it's meant to be a binaural rig so it's there's a internal jekyll disc type thing yeah that's cool um because it's like it's just uh it's hard to find something that that really has that either either the noise is bad or the stereo image is, is weak it, or just too forward for i don't know the, finding the right mic for the right job is just this mm-hmm. impossible challenge but i think you like those mics cool it's awesome
0: yeah. all right my next question is favorite youtube channel or podcast or tv show at the moment just something you've been enjoying recently severance
2: oh yeah i've been hearing about that i think uh i think spencer was talking about that actually
4: really, I, I probably get the most enjoyment out of watching Christian Henson's channel. Um, he's the, if people don't know, one of the co-founders of Spitfire, mm-hmm. both his channel and the piano book stuff that he's been doing the last couple of years. And just this, the, the spirit of piano book is amazing because it's a online sampling archive where everybody's contributing their own sampling, sampled instruments. Yeah. Uh, it started out as trying to have people, you know, sample their pianos that may have been around in their families or whatever. But now it's just grown and it's sample anything. And because I'm a sampling nut, I, I truly appreciate the effort that goes into making instruments, as you all know. <laughs> so that's that's yeah, I enjoy that a lot.
0: There's so much character in each one. It's really cool. Have you guys thought about doing Valhalla t-shirts and hoodies? Because I would like one.
1: We, this actually, because we've tried it before. We've had not very successful, but. uh, Beta, 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 beta hoodie. Um, (laughs) Bet down, Sean's ass. Oh, God. Really? (laughs) Oh, God. I did not want that. But but what's nice is that uh, this is actually, we could cut that. Um, no. This, no, this is very comfortable. I don't like, this is from, and we're like, uh, I think I want to like talk to Kristen about like, let's go forward with this. This is from Printful, but it's like, it's held up under washes. That's one of the big things. It's and like, I, you can't like with these like uh print on demand places, you have mm-hmm. to kind of see, give it a few months and see if it holds up beforehand. Cause like, we've done stuff before that like, uh, through other companies, I won't say who, and like the shirts didn't hold up very well over a couple of years. And right. so I've heard from people you use Printful, so yeah, we're gonna work on that.
0: Sweet, and it's like
1: I, I really like. I found this like it is such a comfortable garment. I love it.
0: Nice. I wouldn't awesome. doubt. <laughs> yeah, maybe do a pre-order on it and see uh, see the interest. But I, I would definitely take one. My last yeah. question for you is: uh, What are your goals over the next couple of years? Slash, what's next for you? What's next for Valhalla?
1: Um, I will say that like. Uh, know when it's going to be released we are moving into the surround space and like when i talk about like uh you know the difficulty of doing like ambient reverbs once like for me are easy trying to make something that sounds realistic is is, it's also kind of like defining what is realism and i'm realizing it has a lot to do with like the more i program reverbs the worse my reverbs sound to me because I'm just hearing more and more stuff like artifacts I've never hear. And so it's like, how do I get rid of these artifacts? How do I get something that's like transparent? Sounds like a real room has the like high frequency decay of a real room. Cause I hate things that are too bright or ringy. How do you get something that's like, and, but how do you make do something like that, but do it in a way that's more like, you know, the Valhalla plugins I like, which are like minimalist GUI, not too many controls, something that's like, how can you have something that sounds as good as any reverb out there? You know, like, you know, like quality. Cause I mean, as I said, like that whole good thing is like, that's, it's arbitrary. It's like, you know, does good. is like one axis. It's like realism is one axis. It's like, you don't have to be on that, but we're working on that access right now. Axis.
0: Love it. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And then, then after that, I don't know.
0: <laughs> one thing at a time.
1: Probably do probably do like, you know, my, the phaser to end all phasers and be a high-step and hundred air after that. that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One phaser to rule them all.
1: <laughs> exactly. This is the best phaser ever. You've never heard a better We're phaser. phasing
2: out the competition here, bro. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Trademark. Uh,
0: Trademark. Fantastic. Noms. Guys, this was so much fun. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having us. We will send people to Valhalla to get some trials if they've been living under a rock and haven't tried your plugins yet. Um, but we will have to have you back in a couple years after you have a new plugin and uh, talk to you then.
1: All right, cool. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. All right, guys. We'll yeah. Catch you soon. Okay, thanks. You later.